0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.
1: Our passage this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 21, one of the best chapters in the Bible. This is the word of the Lord. Give your attention to it. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded, folded up in a place by itself. Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, "'I have seen the Lord,' and that he said these things to her. "'On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, "'the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, "'Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, "'Peace be with you.' "'When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. "'Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord.' Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Okay, you can be seated. John chapter 20. Thank you, Justin. So I'm a big NFL football fan. I don't know if any of you are as well, but there is only one team that has gone undefeated in the modern era, the 1972 Dolphins. And in 2007, as a Broncos fan, the team I hated the most, which was the New England Patriots, in 2007, they entered the Super Bowl 18-0, maybe the first team since the 72 Dolphins to go completely undefeated. I don't know if any of you remember that Super Bowl, but the David Tyree catch and the miraculous comeback by the New York Giants. And what happened was is that uh, they came from behind and the Giants, the lowly Giants, who were like 9-7 getting into the playoffs, beat the mighty New England Patriots, and the whole world rejoiced in, <laughs> with great joy. And uh, they actually made t-shirts that said 18 and, and 1. Because in the end, what good was an undefeated season if you didn't win the last game? In fact, it was a waste. Likewise, what we have in John chapter 20 is we have the final victory of Jesus. The rest of the Gospel of John is an con- entire waste if it ends with chapter 19. If Jesus is crucified and put in the tomb and that's the end of the story, you can throw the entire book away. All of those wonderful things said, all of those wonderful things done, mean nothing if John chapter 20 isn't in your Bibles. It is like going undefeated and losing in the Super Bowl. It's 18 and 1. But here John is going to convince us that Jesus did indeed complete the transaction. He did indeed go undefeated, defeating the final the final enemy, which is death by his own resurrection. Overcoming all odds, if he had done all of those miracles, if he died in fulfillment of so many scriptures, um, the, and, but did not rise from the dead, then this whole thing is a waste, a nasty tease, a bitter defeat for all of us. In fact, Paul himself later will write, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen through 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Without John chapter 20, you are still in your sins. Still under the wrath of God. No matter what came before, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You'll never see them again. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, if John 20 is not in our Bibles then we know that we are the most to be pitied. Christians are the most pathetic people on the planet, the biggest waste of our time. But John is here to convince us as an eyewitness that the resurrection did happen. Jesus did come out of the tomb. There's no pile of Jesus' bones in Palestine. He rose from the dead. And what we have in the context here is John has written a biography of Jesus this is several decades after the other, four go- other three Gospels have been written already. They've been circulating. And John, nearing the end of his life, probably the only disciple of Jesus left alive, at least one of the, the apostles that had been with Jesus, writes this Gospel. And he's writing it, and the purpose of his book is the verses we'll look at next week. He's like, I've written these things so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you'll have life in His name. So he's writing this Gospel with an agenda to fill in some of the gaps that the other Gospels didn't cover because that's not all that Jesus did. And John fills in some of the gaps and he's making a case to tell us that Jesus is the Son of God and that you can have forgiveness of sins. You can have eternal life. You can know the Father directly through what Jesus Christ has done. And it's all for naught unless chapter 20 happens. This best friend and disciple of Jesus has taken us on this massive eyewitness tour of Jesus' life. This journey from the beginning now to the resurrection and there ha- he has taken us through signs and miracles, teachings. There has been drama and conflict and intrigue until finally in chapter 19, the brutal lynching of Jesus on a gory Roman cross, fulfilling a ton of Old Testament scriptures. And again, it is all for naught if he is still in the grave. Jesus spoke three different times, at least in the Gospel of John, of his own resurrection. He predicted it. If a guy... Claims to be the son of God and can predict his own death and resurrection. Pay attention. If he can actually pull that off, (laughs) many people can predict it. Only one has been able to pull off his own resurrection, and John is here to tell us that it happened. So really, we have a very simple message today. There's a lot of questions. We'll have a Q&A at the end of the service today, um, and I'm going to leave a lot of really. Justin is already thinking of questions, even now, to ask me. And you might have questions as well, because this text has some really interesting things in it. But I don't want us to get caught into the weeds and miss the point. There's two things that I think the Apostle John wants you to believe. He wants you to believe two things in regards to this chapter. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus is real. The resurrection of Jesus is real. John has two main points. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus is real. And he goes and he labors in this text to lay out the details. He is relentlessly specific because he wants you to know, I saw it. I was there. I'm telling you, I'm putting my entire life and credibility on the line, and I'm not the only one. So I want you to just notice these details right here as we walk through the text. Notice, first of all, that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Look at verses 1 through 13 and count how many times he uses the word tomb. He wants to make it very clear as we read this, to watch for this, that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Watch this, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And for John, he uses these physical things. It was still dark, but he also means something spiritual by that. Like, it was still a grievous time. They are still mourning the loss of Jesus. Jesus. You know, so this sense of like it was still dark. He means that meaning dawn, but he also means that in the spiritual senses. This was a dark thing. Mary is coming to the tomb in great darkness of heart and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb Both of them were running together, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, which is John himself, that's how he doesn't refer to himself by name. He calls himself the beloved disciple, calls himself the other disciple. So this is John. This is him writing down with specificity what he saw in that empty tomb. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He believed Jesus rose from the dead. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again. Now he didn't, he didn't fully connect all the prophecies yet. He believed because the tomb was empty. And then later, he began to connect the dots and go, oh, this makes so much more sense. He had a simple faith right out of the gate. The tomb is empty. He must have risen. This is not what you would would expect to find here. And then only later was his faith strengthened by the scriptures. For as of yet, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting with the body of Jesus, the the body where, uh, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So uh, he is making very clearly here the tomb, the tomb, the tomb, the tomb. We know where it is. We know what's supposed to be in there. We went in. He was not there. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. If that is a number one, if you're going to have a resurrection, the person where the person was buried, there needs to not be their body in there, right? <laughs> just 101, right? Resurrection 101. The body's not still dead in the tomb. So John just is very specific here to tell us that the tomb was empty. Look at verses five and five through eight. His col- his clothes are folded. His clothes are folded. Now, think about this. Mary, right out of the gate, assumes that someone has taken the body. She, is not, she does not immediately think he's risen from the dead. She thinks he's been stolen. John's kind of the first one to go, I think this is resurrection. But not, not everybody else is thinking that yet. Mary is convinced someone's taken him, and I am angry about this. But look, John says, his clothes are folded. And stooping back to look in, verse 5, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and believed. Clothes are folded. Okay, let's just put yourself in, uh, you're a grave robber, okay? Let's just say that's what you do. I don't know why, but you do. You're a grave robber. You're going to go rob this tomb of a body. I don't know what your motives are, but you're going to go rob this tomb of a body. You're in the middle of the night. You've got to be sneaky. You've got to be quick. You've got to move this big stone. You want to take the body. Do you take the time to unwrap that body and then fold up nicely all the cloths? No, you grab that thing and you belt. You're going to unwrap it later, right? If you're a good, effective grave robber. But the clothes are folded, which means Jesus rose from the dead and then tidied up. If you're a grave robber, you don't do that, right? And for John, I think he's putting this here because it's like, wait a minute. The clothes are folded. Grave robbers don't fold clothes. Someone does it: break into your house, steal your stuff, and then vacuum, right? No, the clothes are folded. And I think this is meant to contrast John chapter 11 when Lazarus rose from the grave and he walked out, but he was still constrained by his clothes. And people had to help him unwrap. Jesus somehow either resurrected through the cloths, which we see him going through doors here a little bit later, right? His glorified body. He can just do some things that we just don't have a category for. Or he was able to unwrap himself. I don't know. But I think this is meant to contrast with Lazarus, is that Jesus is risen as a glorified body that maybe passed right through the clothes, whereas Lazarus still had the grave clothes on. He was still going to die again. He wasn't raised... In his glorified body, he was going to die again. So while that resurrection of Lazarus was amazing, Lazarus died again. He was still resurrected to a flawed, sinful body. But Jesus is raised in a way that's different than Lazarus. He's alive, but he's glorified. And he took some time to make it orderly, right? I mean, that's, we don't know for sure. But it seems like John is laboring that here because grave robbers don't fold the clothes. They don't vacuum. They don't clean up. They... They break in and they bolt. And so at least I think for John, this is significant. Um, Others have debated what the significance of the face cloth being over here and all that stuff. I think the bottom line is, is that this was not someone who stole the body. This was someone who rose purposefully and did so orderly in order to convince the disciples that he really was risen from the dead. I want you to notice also the resurrection is real because the tomb is empty, the clothes are folded, and his body is physical. His body is physical. Look at 14 through 18. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away... Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. You can imagine that that's got a little bit of rage behind it. If you took Jesus' body, shame on you, Mr. Gardner. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell, him, tell me where you've laid him, I will take, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabboni," which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. So he is seen by Mary in physical form, and she thinks he's a gardener. She thinks he's an ordin- he, he has an, a, a recognizable human form that she mistakes for being someone else. So he has a physical body. He's not some aura, some bright light, some orb. He's a human body he has a physical body and mary thinks it's the gardener at first he is touched by mary mary grabs him right so he's he, he's able to be grabbed and touched he is recognized and announced by mary it's not until she he says her name that she recognizes him but then once she gets it she goes yes that's jesus he's recognizable and yet in some ways a little bit unrecognizable look at verses 19 through 22 So, no doubt, Mary thinks that Jesus has risen physically. She didn't recognize him at first, but he is clearly, his body is clearly physical. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So this is interesting. Peter and John have just been in the empty tomb. But they're not, and John believes, we don't know what Peter quite thinks yet. John hasn't told us that, but they're back and they're in the locked room. Which tells me they're still a little unnerved. They're still not really confident, right? If they're in this locked room and, and their, their Messiah has risen from the dead, they're not at a point where they have a lot of confidence. This does not look like someone who's put together this resurrection hoax, right? This looks like a bunch of people that are like, oh, I think we're going to be crucified next. And we don't know what to make of this resurrection. So just notice that they're locked up, their fear, the, the, God, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. So somehow he passes through the locked door, I guess. Unless he had a key, maybe. But it appears that he came through and appeared before them and said to them, Peace be with you. Um, When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So it seemed like it didn't totally dawn on them until they saw the wounds, going, Oh, wait. Jesus said... To them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So his body is physical because he is standing and speaking, right? He shows them his hands and his side. So he still bears physical wounds, physical scars, um, and they're recognizable from what they saw inflicted upon him. So he has his same physical body. The disciples were glad when they, saw, when they saw the Lord, right? The disciples are glad when they see the Lord. So they do, they go, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy. They recognize the man that they had been with for three years and he breathed on them, which means he has lungs and air is going in and out of those lungs. He's a physical body. He has a physical body. One more, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so this, that was resurrection evening, that Sunday, that Easter Sunday. That was in the evening that Jesus came and encountered them. Thomas wasn't with them. He was somewhere else. I don't know what he was doing. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And they're all convinced. From cowards kind of hiding in this locked room to now like, hey, Thomas, you will not, you cannot imagine what we have seen. And Thomas, he said to them, unless I see his hands in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails that's kind of gross and place my hand into his side I will never believe that's pretty decisive isn't it this is not a guy that kind of goes along with conspiracy theories this is not a man this is a, if, it's funny if you watch Thomas through the gospels he's got a bit of a pessimistic attitude a little bit about things he is not easily convinced he is not one that generally looks on the sunny side of life Um, And so, and here we see it very much. God actually uses his own personality (laughs) as a validation that the the resurrection is real. Eight days later, so following Sunday, I guess, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. (laughs) Put your finger here. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now that's kind of amazing. Somehow Jesus overheard the conversation they had and go, all right, Thomas, I'm going to throw you a bone here, Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Pessimistic. You won't believe all of these witnesses. You've got to touch it for yourself. And he just grants him that, which is amazing. And here's what Thomas answers, verses 28. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Transformed from skeptic, I'm not buying into any of this. I don't care if all of you believe it. I'm not believing it. Now this brief encounter, my Lord and my God. He is convinced Jesus is divine and risen from the dead. And my Lord, my boss, my king, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed we'll kind of come back to that in just a minute so he is heard he is touched he is seen by thomas thomas is like unless i have a physical encounter not just with my eyes but with my hands i am not going to believe and we have it recorded that jesus accommodates that so Jesus' body is physical Even Thomas is like, unless it's a physical body, I don't care if it's hallucinations. I don't care if it's just this legend. I don't care if it's wishful thinking. I need to see a real Jesus human body or I am not believing. And he's transformed in a moment. And then lastly, look at this. The resurrection is real because his skeptics are changed. We've already seen this, right? Mary thinks the body's stolen even after seeing angels. That blows my mind. It says that she has tears in her eyes. She's crying, right? She looks in and she sees angels. Now, if you look down through your Bible about when people encounter angels, their default setting is to bow down and worship to those angels. Mary is so lost in her grief, so bleary-eyed, she looks at angels and has just this casual conversation with them. Which means that she is so, like, she is not thinking resurrection. She is not thinking spiritual encounter here. Because somehow, angels that most people bow down and listen to, she is so kind of in her own, like, they've stolen the body and I'm upset about it, that she doesn't even realize she's standing before angels, right? They're sitting in the tomb. So this is not someone who is prone to, like, make up something. She is seeing angels and is, is, doesn't seem particularly impressed with them, right? And she even sees Jesus himself and accuses him of stealing Jesus, right? She's a skeptic. She's a skeptic. She, she has in her mind what she thinks happened. And yet her mind is changed when Jesus says her name. She's changed. Peter and John, they hear this report from Mary, right? They come running to the tomb. Why? Because they want to see for themselves. And John believes at the moment. We don't know Peter. It's not clear to us in the text here when he believes. But they had to go see for themselves. They had to go see for themselves. They were skeptical. They didn't have the prophecies in their mind. They didn't have the previous teachings of Jesus in their mind. They weren't prone to believe it. They had to go see it themselves. They were skeptical. Even after hearing the reports of Mary, yep, that's what I said. They were not confident it's true. They had to go see it. Oh, and then in the locked room, right? So this is later in the day after the resurrection happened early in the morning, Mary has gone, and now she's brought her report back. Peter and John went in. John is like, I believe, I'm not sure Peter, you know, like, okay, the tomb is definitely empty, but they're still in this locked room several hours later. Jesus appears in front of them, and it's not until they see his wounds that they then have joy, right? So even seeing this guy appear, they're still skeptical until Jesus goes, no, 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 look, 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 I'll show you, I'll show you all the wounds that you saw three days ago. They're not confident, but then they become glad. They're not, they're skeptics. And then Thomas himself, maybe the ultimate skeptic, we've heard the phrase doubting Thomas, comes from this text right here. Thomas refuses to believe unless he can literally touch the wounds of Jesus. And then he's transformed, he's changed. And all of them are willing to go to their death for what they experience on this resurrection day. All of them, from locked rooms, from skepticism, to seeing angels and being a little ticked off, (laughs) not fully recognizing Jesus, they're now totally changed. And they never, not one of those apostles recants their testimony. Under great persecution, under great torture, not one of them changes their mind. Not one of them. All of them fleeing at the crucifixion, except for John. All of them hiding out, afraid they're about to be crucified, instantly transformed by the resurrection. So what's the author telling us? He's telling us this was not a hallucination. He's telling us this was not a legend that developed later. This is not some hoax staged by the disciples. This is not just some sort of spiritual resurrection. John is relentless and detailed and specific. And a a little bit embarrassing in his account. Because these disciples are so slow to believe, right? He's like, it doesn't look good for us. It would be way better if we really got it and were people of faith that whole time and we believed the promises of Jesus. But he's like, that's not how it happened. We did not understand what Jesus was saying. We did not know that these prophecies were happening. We looked like total idiots. But that just proves it's real. Because <laughs> we're just like you. We had the same questions that you have about the resurrection. It was just as hard for us to believe as it is for you, right? We were made of the same stuff you were. We did not fake this. He's embarrassing almost in his account to be abundantly clear that this resurrection is real and physical and historical. It happened. It happened. The resurrection is real. Second point. The resurrection is real. Second thing John really wants us to believe is that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. If Jesus really was who he said he was and he really did accomplish what he accomplished, And he can predict his own death and resurrection and accomplish it. Well, that totally changes everything, doesn't it? That makes him Lord and King of the universe. That means that our sins really are forgiven if we trust in him. That means he really is King. That means he really has defeated death. And here's what we've got the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Look at this. The resurrection, the resurrected Jesus calls his people by name. Do you see that? Mary is transformed. Because Jesus initiates, he calls her. Which is how our salvation works too, right? We will not believe until the Lord calls our name. Says, Come to me. Come to me. We might see all the accounts. We might read all the scriptures. We might, well, we will never really believe until we hear Jesus call our name. Nothing changed in Mary until Christ called her name. She's looking at the res- resurrected Christ in her face, going, you stole Jesus, didn't you? Mary. And her eyes were open. When we're saved, it's when Christ, it's because he's come to us. He's called our name. And I wonder today, if you heard Christ call your name, and then it's just like, oh, your eyes open up. It's real. The resurrection's real. Jesus is for me. He's called me by name. Secondly, we see the resurrected Jesus offers his peace to all. Three different times. He enters the room, right? Well, and one's a little bit later. Peace be with you which means Jesus is coming to his people in peace, right? Now, I'm thinking about this. Like, if I've just gone through the crucifixion, and this is just sinful Josh talking, about, and I've just raised from the dead, I'm going to Pilate. I'm going, you should have known better, right? I would come back, and I'd be sticking it in the eye of those people, like, see, you didn't believe, and you didn't. I'd be going to the high priest, but Jesus doesn't worry about them, right? He doesn't worry about those who wronged him. He goes to those who were following him, and he says, peace be with you. I know I'm a little intimidating to look at right now. I did just appear. I did just rise from the dead, but I come in peace. I don't come to, to bring judgment, although you all deserve it right now, right? I come to bring peace. So Jesus rose from the dead and offers peace. The resurrected Jesus is not looking to knock some heads or get some revenge or dominate with sheer overwhelming force. He can, and he will at the second coming. But John 3, six seventeen says he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved for him. He said earlier in John, John 14:27, "Peace I live with, leave with you, by peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." He says in John 16:33, at the end of his, uh, of his uh, discourse, "I have said these things to me to you, that in me you may have peace." In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then here, the resurrection is all about peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The reason I rose from the dead is so that you can have peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 is all about, has the word peace in it many times. But I love, these are some of my favorites. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about how this vertical peace with God results in peace across demographic barriers that we have with one another. It brings the body of Christ together. He's our peace, not just vertically, but horizontally. Ephesians 2.17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who who were near. Those of you that grew grew up around spiritual things, Jesus is offering peace to you. Those of you where you didn't grow up around spiritual things, he offers peace to you as well. Through his death and resurrection. Ephesians 6.15 And as shoes for your feet, he's talking about the armor of God, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You're putting on the armor of God to defend yourself against the attacks of the devil, and then you're advancing into enemy territory with the gospel of peace. God is making his appeal to us, be reconciled to God. We go, as Christians, advancing with the gospel of peace. God is offering terms of peace to his enemies through, the, through Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus also grants his power by the Spirit. So it changes everything because he calls his people by name. He offers peace to all who will trust in him. And he grants his power by the Spirit. You see that? He said he breathes on them, which is kind of weird but spirit means breath. Those are kind of, he's using a play on words there. And I don't know that that moment they received the Holy Spirit in full, that was gonna come at Pentecost. But he's in, symbolically telling them that as I'm sending you out, I'm gonna give you the spirit to do it, right? So he's giving them some instruction there. Romans eight eleven. think about this. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the spirit he gives you. <laughs> the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that's what he gives to every believer. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit dwells in you. you. Ever thought about that? That the Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in every believer. That's amazing to think about for yourself, but think about that. The weakest Christian has the resurrection Spirit in them. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I wonder what that would do if we began to relate to each other that way, fellow Christians. Going, and the Spirit of God resides in them. They're now a temple of God. The presence of God lives in them. They're made in His image, and they're filled with His Spirit. I should treat them with great respect and dignity. They're worth me, worth my time. The, and they have the power within them, through the gospel, through the Spirit, to be transformed. The resurrected Jesus gives his purpose in sending. So we see Jesus offers his peace. He grants his power by the Spirit. And he gives his purpose in sending. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what's amazing. The Great Commission is given in all three of the Gospels. The death and the resurrection is in all four of the Gospels. And the Great Commission is in all four of the Gospels in different forms. But here he says in John 20, um, let me look it up here. He says, um, I should have put it in my notes here. Okay. Um, Peace be with you, verse 21. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives the Great Commission again right before he ascends. And he says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16 uh, says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, he opened, his, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the, get, from the dead that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold i am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high and then acts 1 6 through 9 says so when they had come together they asked him lord will you at this time restore the kingdom of is- the kingdom to israel he said it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then as he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of his sight. So the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrected Jesus calls him to himself by name. The resurrected Jesus offers peace to all who will trust in him. The resurrected Jesus grants his resurrection power by his spirit to every believer. And Jesus now gives us a purpose by sending us as his agents into the world. He didn't just leave us here to wait around until he gets back. He's sending us as he was sent with the message of peace. I love what John Piper says. He says, because of the resurrection, we have identity, peace, purpose, and power. If the resurrection is not true or we don't believe it, then we are lost in confusion about who we are Instead of peace, we have conflict. Instead of purpose, we're aimless. And instead of power, we have weakness. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel that in the world? Doesn't the world feel confused, conflicted, aimless, and weak? But because of the resurrection, those who believe in Him now have an identity. He calls us by name. We have peace about us, regardless of circumstances. We have a purpose. We are here to bear witness to the king of glory who resurrected from the dead and we have resurrection power living within us all because jesus rose from the dead the resurrection of jesus changes everything so two quick questions for you do you believe the resurrection of jesus is real do you believe i love what it says right at the end there to thomas there's a special blessing who got to see and then believed like thomas God was very kind that they got to see it for themselves. Do you ever wish that maybe you got to be one of those people? Now, if you knew what that was going to mean for the rest of their life, you might be less likely to sign up for that <laughs> because it did lead to their martyrdom. It was not an easy life to bear witness to the resurrection. But what, a, what an awesome gift God gave, Jesus gave to those few for our sake. But don't forget, while he tells Thomas, this is great, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a special blessing for you and me who didn't get to see it with our own physical eyes but still believe. God has a special blessing for those, I think. There is a special blessing to those who did not get to see it with their own eyes yet believed. But the bottom line is, believing's the point either way. Whether you're one of those select few that got to see it with your own eyes and then bear witness about it, or you're one of those that believed because you heard the witness, doesn't matter the point is do you believe do you believe do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus is real and number two how is the resurrection of Jesus changing everything for you and that's really the point of church is for us to remind each other that the resurrection is real and to bear witness about how it's changing us right and to encourage that change in one another we now need to remind each other of the identity that Christ has called you by name You don't define your own identity. Jesus does. And it's way better than the identity you would create for yourself. Don't forget you have peace with God. Live into the peace that Christ has purchased and offered for you. And live at peace with one another. And don't forget, brother Christian, sister Christian, you have a purpose. You're not here to just try to collect as much stuff as you can before you die. Your aim is not to try to be as comfortable in your life as you can. You have been sent. And you have the power of the resurrected Jesus in you. If you believe, then it's because Jesus called you by name and you belong to him. If you believe, then he extends his peace to you eternally. And you are at peace with him at all times, regardless of how you feel. If you believe, then the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, breaking the power of sin, empowering love, And an empowering witness to him among the world. Comforting, sealing, interceding for you. And if you believe, then Jesus has defined a whole new purpose for you. You are an agent of the kingdom. You are now to live your whole life in his power. To do his kingdom things in the world. You are an ambassador of the king to the ends of the earth. You aren't left here, you are sent here. God didn't get your address wrong. You're to be a witness here, actively pursuing the purpose of extending the enjoyment of the king, the good news of his death and resurrection to everybody. That's what today's for. That's what tomorrow's for. That's what the rest of your life is for. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Let's go before him in prayer. Oh God, I, I pray that just in this moment right now, that you would be calling some of us by name and that we, like Mary, would recognize you and would believe. Lord, I pray that you would reaffirm, that you would strengthen um, the, those of us that have trusted in you and, Lord, I pray that if there's some in here who haven't trusted in you, Lord, that you would call their name, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would believe They would just believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he accomplished what he said he accomplished, that the word of God is true and that the peace and the purpose and the power that you extend through your good news, through your gospel is theirs if they'll believe. So help us to repent of our sin, put our trust in what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And Lord, I pray those of us who have believed that we would share that, that we would live into our new identity, that we would live into this purpose, this power, And Lord, that we would help one another to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's sing about the resurrection. All right, thank you. You can grab a seat. We do want to take time for a few questions. I'm sure Justin has a few to prime the pump. And then this text has got some interesting things in it, so feel free to consider asking a question as well. So we've got some time, so we're good.
1: So I'll ask one question, and then I'll open it up to everyone here. Um, my question, first question is, there's a, there are a ton of questions, but one is um, that you'll often hear is, well, maybe they got the tomb wrong? So that's why there wasn't a body. They were just at the wrong tomb. So
0: Yeah, it's interesting they all go to the same one. <laughs> and when she goes and tells Peter and John that they run to the same one she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's close to the crucifixion site, right? Like we knew that from John chapter 19, that it was close to the, it was in a garden. So there was quite a bit of description. John was there. Mary Magdalene was there. Um, they had taken spices. The other gospel accounts are very consistent that, you know, everybody seems to know where this is. And so um, I guess that, I, I guess someone could say that's possible, but if they're mm-hmm. wrong, they're all wrong mm-hmm. at the same time, in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's very likely considering yeah. how, uh, how, um, how careful they are about. Yeah. You know,
1: and then someone the uh, could have been like, uh, actually we'll go check the tomb where we actually buried him.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny, yeah. They get the report and they know exactly what tomb to go to. So yeah, yeah. I think that's unlikely. Um, so, and it's also the one, you know, it, it, the other, John doesn't record it, but the other gospel accounts say that the Romans, you know, they, they sealed it, uh, uh, they sealed a, they sealed the tomb and they placed a seal on it to make sure that nobody, cause they were concerned that someone might try to fake a resurrection. And then they put like a whole Roman guard in front of it. And, uh, so it was, it was very clear, like <laughs> the one with the Roman guard in front of it for a few days. Yeah. That, you know, so I think that's very unlikely that they, yeah that they got the wrong tomb, so Yeah. Anyone? Question? I ask a follow on question to that and
2: it's so do angels just hang out at at And then is there any uh any significance that
1: you saw for those angels sitting at the heavy feet? Should I repeat the question for the Yeah, if you would so uh question do angels usually hang out at tombs and second, is there any significance to them hanging out at this particular tomb?
0: Uh, i 'm not entirely sure um i you know angels certainly announce his birth that 's a significant thing, God becoming man, you know Christ entering the world um and so it 's not totally surprising to me that they 're there as well and also, I think if I remember one of the gospel accounts say that maybe it was the angels that actually moved the stone, so maybe they're taking a break i don't know <laughs> the fact that they're standing at his hand and feet, I think is to at least just make clear jesus 's body's not here like. They're sitting where his body would be, and it's, you know, <laughs> so there's very much a, I think, highlighting the fact that Jesus is not present there. So, mm-hmm. did you have something that you'd want to add yeah, to that? Yeah, I just put out there, the, the head and the feet looks very similar to the mercy seat. Hmm. The, the oh, two angels hall. over the mercy seat. Ha ha, hmm. I like that. That's awesome. I didn't yeah. pick up on that. So, yeah, like the, the, te- uh, the uh, what's it called? The Ark of the Covenant has two cherubim over this mercy seat, you know, and so... Yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I think there that's could be some real significance, the fact that there's the place where you put the blood, you know, that is, is indicative of, of Christ that, or uh, God's uh, forgiving of sins right there is, is covered by two angels. That's good. I like that.
1: I yeah. saw some other hands.
0: That's really good. I didn't yeah. pick up on that. Yeah. It seems like it, which is super gross. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand um, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe.
1: It's just scar tissue.
0: It's only been a day and it. It's only been like, you know, a couple of days. Yeah. Jesus is like, Thomas, look me in the eyes. Give me your finger. And yeah. And then he's just like, do not disbelieve, but believe. I don't know what tone Jesus said that, but like he yeah. just is very, and, and I think that's very kind of like, some of us maybe wish that that could be our experience, but I think we're meant to kind of maybe be like Thomas It's like, well, God gave someone that experience and it changed him. So, if it was you, then, you can go ahead and put yourself in the shoes, you know. So, mm-hmm. anyway. So, I think that's kind of God to put that there, that uh-huh. Thomas is not on board with this until, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, could say, I could say gross things.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. It mm-hmm. could be gross. Because <laughs> yeah. Jesus' resurrected body will bear the wounds for eternity. Mm-hmm. He'll be the only one in, human, in history, in eternity, that will still bear the evidences of sin in his body. He will have his wounds forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever, like, been stuck, like, you're suffocating, and you get panicky, right? It's a it's a scary thing to suffocate. And so, yeah, you're hanging there, and I think maybe at some point you're like, let's just get this over with. But your body just cannot help but want to breathe, right? And so it's meant to be as agonizing as possible. So where you have you have the agony of, like, drowning, suffocating, and the agony of bleeding to death, and the agony of the fact that your heart has so much stress on it, it's about to burst, and, I mean, just... All these things, it's like they tried to put together the pain of all kinds of different kinds of death and just put them in one spot. And the fact that you're like, it is really hard. It is really hard to not want air, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, yeah, great question. And that's why it's so awful. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What's happening in 22 and 23? 22 and 23. When Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I I think that he is giving an object lesson there. The word for breath and the word for spirit is often the same word, both, I think, in Hebrew and largely in Greek, too. Right? Greek scholar. Is that or are they different? Uh, They're different here. Okay, they're different here. But I think that's the imagery he's getting at is receive the Holy Spirit, breathe on them. Could also have some Genesis stuff of like he breathed life into Adam. Now he's breathing eternal life. Um, through the Spirit? Maybe. Verse 22, this, or 23, this is the one you're asking about. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. So does this mean that disciples have the ability to forgive and unforgive or not forgive sins? In the, to the extent that we hold out the means by which someone can be forgiven of sins. I think that's what he's getting at. So I think if you had just this text you could wrongly think that I can decide whether you're forgiven or not. But I think in light of the other texts and the other great commission passages and stuff is that we have the ability to to extend the forgiveness of sins to people through the gospel. And when they rightly believe it, we can give confirmation of it. And when they're not believing the right gospel, we can say, your sins are not forgiven, you're believing a false gospel. So I think it's not that we have the authority to actually do it ourselves, but we are given the commission to share that which forgives sins and to, to, to make clear that which is not a true gospel. I think that's what he's getting at. That's the only thing, the way I think it makes sense with others is that uh, we can extend to people Jesus' forgiveness of sins and then confirm when it seems like they've rightly received it. Yeah. Hey, Brittany? well said yeah yeah so we can we can we're, we're to hold out the true gospel and then make clear what's not the true gospel and then we have at least some responsibility to go ahead and that is a right professor that's a believer we should baptize them we should bring them into the church like we have these symbols to help bring them in and, and give confirmation yes we believe this person's sins are forgiven yeah by the holy spirit that's good we're able to discern those things well said
1: I thought I saw Oh, Braden one, has a question way in back the back.
0: Here. Yes, sir. That's a good question. So he's faster than Peter. And I don't know, like, part of me wants to think that there's always kind of been this rivalry between John, James and John and Peter about who would be. So I've sometimes wondered if he's just kind of, you know, I'm faster than Peter. I don't know. There might be something else to it. He's certainly younger than Peter. But he gets there first, John gets there first, but it's almost like John, John is reluctant to go in. I don't know if it's out of fear or if there is sort of this sense that uh, Peter really, Peter, Peter's, Peter's impulsiveness, Peter's always the first to do everything, right? He's the first to walk on the water. He's the first one, you know, he's the first one to, uh, to confess Jesus is the Christ. At Pentecost, he's going to be the first one to give, get up and give the gospel after the Spirit comes down. And so, well, sure enough, he's the first one to just dive headlong into that tomb. That just kind of makes sense. So, um, I don't know. I think it's, I I don't know. I don't know any deeper reason behind that other than Peter seems to have kind of this impulsiveness to him that he just does kind of the weird thing, which is go in someone else's grave. Mm -hmm. That's a little weird. Whereas John seems a little less willing to do that out of the gate. And it's not till after Peter does it that then John does it. Um, and then Mary will do it then later. So Mm -hmm. there's certainly this sense of like, should I go in there? That's weird. Mm -hmm. Peter's like, I'm going in, (laughs) I'm in, you know, he's not in here. Okay. And then others follow him. So I don't know. I think it might just part be part of Peter's personality. And, um, no, but Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. I don't know if there's deeper significance than that, but I just think it's their personalities kind of coming out. And sure enough. Yeah. It'd be Peter. Peter'd be the one that would be willing to crawl in someone's grave. That's, that sounds like Peter.
1: So we have a hand over here.
0: Lydia? Okay. Could be. Could be. Peter certainly had denied Jesus. So I'm not sure what people Peter's thinking at that point. Like, if the guy you denied has risen from the dead, you might think you're in big trouble, right? <laughs> uh, oh, man. Like, I kind of bailed on him when he needed me but then there might also be like Peter is so prone to run to him Judas betrayed Jesus tried to make it up and then killed himself he just couldn't deal with it Peter wants to run to Jesus and I think that's the difference between when we sin you know do we do we despair and try to fix it ourselves or do we run to Jesus for forgiveness I think Mm -hmm. Peter and Judas kind of give that what's the life giving repentance of sin what's the death giving Mm -hmm. so maybe Peter's just like man I so want to be forgiven by Jesus I'm running to him I don't know I'm just thinking out loud, but Mm -hmm. good question. Yeah. Um, What's the significance
2: of, um, obviously, Mary gets their right almost as soon as he's resurrected. He's still Mm standing there. Or he makes
1: a special visitation Mm -hmm. to her. So what's the significance to him saying,
0: I have to go to the Father before I can come back and really spend behind him? Yeah, a lot of people have wondered that. Like exactly. So I don't know if I have the definitive answer. But it seems like the way he says it. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and your father. That's the first time that he calls them." My father and your father. So now, remember we talked last week about God brings us into a new family? He now calls them brothers. Something different happens here where he's now like, my father is your father. You're now, go tell my brothers. That's the first time he says that in John. Is that at the resurrection, the new family has now been sealed. My disciples are not just my disciples, they're my brothers. And my father has now become their father. So new family is established right here. So I didn't mention that before, but I'm ascending to the Father. and to, So I think it's one of those, like, don't cling to me, meaning that, hey, I'm not going to be around. Like, she's just so desperate to be with him. And like, good, Jesus will be with us now forever. Like It's like, no, I'm going to ascend to the Father. Don't cling so tightly to my physical presence with you here because I'm going to the Father. And in fact, this moment right here, this sweet moment needs to end because you need to go tell. You need to go. So he's commissioning her right then. And it's fascinating that she's the first witness because <laughs> women would not be considered um, credible witnesses in court. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we think this testimony is true is because if you were making this up, you would not have a woman be the first. That would not stand up legally in Jewish court. So, but the disciples are like, yeah, we know that it doesn't really fit legally, but it's what happened. You wouldn't make this up. You wouldn't, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have a woman be the first one mm-hmm. especially one who had seven demons in her just a couple years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> you would not pick this woman to be your first eyewitness so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. dude, i kind of went all over the place there but i wanted to get one more little tiny sermon in
2: <laughs>
0: so it's it's fascinating like this passage is just so rich with so many things yes Brittany. a big question uh, so in the old testament the spirit came upon people and it seems like it kind of empowered them for certain things uh, but then it seems like the spirit would leave like it would come on king david and then leave and that's part of why in uh in psalm 51 to take not your holy spirit from me because the spirit didn't it kind of empowered people and then left what's different about the new covenant is that now the holy spirit comes and dwells permanently and so it's not just that The spirit might come in battle. It might empower me for this great work and then leave me. Now I have the confidence of knowing that because of Christ, I've been cleansed of my sins. And now I am a suitable resident, residence. I am actually a cleansed temple by which the spirit of God can now dwell within. And so I think that's what's new is that the death and resurrection of Jesus now means that the Holy Spirit can and does dwell permanently in the believer, never to leave. Ever again. So I think that's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The Spirit's there. He's doing things. But it seems like he comes and goes and it's possible to kind of lose the Spirit. But for the new covenant believer, he's there. he's He will never depart this temple. So, All right. Well, let's close it down. We're at noon, which is our typical closing time. So if you would please stand for our benediction. Thanks for being here. Great questions. There's more you could probably come up with. I'll hang out um and uh, it's a beautiful day wonderful september not september december <laughs> feels like september december day in south dakota you live in the greatest place in the world and uh, make sure you hang out with each other greet each other have some conversation before you go um but here is our benediction from 1 corinthians 15 17 through 20 if you want to know more about the resurrection and its significance for our resurrection we didn't get into all that 1 corinthians 15 would be a great place to go if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in, fr- in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means we too will be resurrected like him one day. Amen? Good news. All right, you're dismissed.